An international team of researchers tracked 1,000 children in New Zealand from birth until the age of 32. The children with highest self-control grew up into adults who had better physical health, including lower rates of obesity, fewer sexually transmitted diseases, and even healthier teeth. Self-control was irrelevant to adult depression, but its lack made people more prone to alcohol and drug problems. The children with poor self-control tended to wind up poor financially. They worked in relatively low-paying jobs, had little money in the bank, and were less likely to own a home or have money set aside for retirement. They also grew up to have more children, being raised in single-parent households, presumably because they had a harder time adapting to the discipline required for a long-term relationship. The children with good self-control were much more likely to wind up in a stable marriage and raise children in two-parent homes. Last, but certainly not least, the children with poor self-control were more likely to end up in prison. Among those with the lowest levels of self-control, more than 40% had a criminal conviction by the age of 32, compared with just 12% of the people who had been toward the high end of the self-control distribution in their youth. In a follow-up study, the same researchers looked at brothers and sisters from the same families so that they could compare children who grew up in similar homes. Again, over and over, the sibling with the lower self-control during childhood fared worse during adulthood. They ended up sicker, poorer, and were more likely to spend time in prison. The results couldn't be clear. Self-control is a vital strength and key to success in life. And that is an excerpt from the book, Willpower, Why Self-Control is the Secret to Success by Roy Baumeister and John Turney. So there you go. Our next, uh, our next two episodes, we're going to go through the book, like I just said, Willpower. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got New Year coming up. Everybody's sitting there thinking about the year we just had, the year coming up, thinking about goals and whatnot and things like that. And I think willpower is a massive key and self-control is a massive key to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish this next year. Um, so through this book, we're going to go over the two fundamental lessons about willpower, four ways we drain our will, willpower, why you shouldn't make New Year's resolutions, two simple techniques to help with weight loss, the secret to David Blaine's success, why alcohol why Alcoholics Anonymous works, why religious people live longer than non-religious people, why participation trophies will keep your kid from getting into Harvard, why Asians are more successful than any other culture, the challenges with single-parent households, and we'll wrap it up with five things to keep in mind, basically a willpower Mm. 101. So that's what we got in store for us. What you thinking, thinking, Ty? I'm excited. I'm hearing all that and like understanding, you know, the background and, you know, children and discipline and self-control and and all that, how, how that leads to, Mm -hmm. right. Those patterns lead to, um, different outcomes. Um, what I'm, I'm excited about is I'm excited about talking more about how to implement and gain willpower even later in life. Yep. Like it's not a, it's not a, Hey, if you don't, if you don't acquire the skill at eight years old, right. You have no chance. Like it can change. Yeah. And, and like with all these book reviews, it's always best to grab a copy yourself, go read the whole thing. Cause we're only going to touch on the highlights, but yes, we will absolutely touch on all those things that you just mentioned. Um, but to start us, I'm I'm excited to learn why Asians are better than us too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. (laughs) 
um, and why the, the, you know, why you shouldn't make uh, new year's resolutions. Everybody's yeah. sitting here right now thinking, you know, this, yeah. is the la- this is the last episode of 2022. Everybody's probably sitting here thinking, man, I got to get my, my resolutions list together. Yeah. Yeah, so I, we're gonna I re- reactivate, unfreeze my gym membership. <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> yeah, I gotta do all these thirty-seven different things. We're gonna tell yeah. you today why that's not a good idea and why you shouldn't make those resolutions. So, uh, but let's start with the basics. Two fundamental lessons. Number one, you have a finite amount of willpower that becomes depleted as you use it. Number two, you use the same stock of willpower for all manner of tasks. So you might think you have one reservoir of self-control for work, another for dieting, another for exercise, and another for being nice to your family. You use the same supply of willpower to deal with frustrating traffic, tempting food, annoying colleagues, demanding bosses, pouting children, uh, resisting dessert at lunch, leaves you with less willpower to to praise your boss's awful haircut. So that was an interesting thought for me. I guess it makes sense when you read it, but I guess I never really thought about how you only have a finite amount of willpower yeah. in a given day. Yeah. And why, and again, we all experience this, but it's just interesting reading it, is, you know, you're able to make better decisions in the morning. You're, you know, that's why I'm a big advocate of working out first thing. Because of the hundreds of people that I've helped over the years and had conversations with, it's very rare that the person that goes in after work sticks to a plan yeah, and sticks to their routine. Yep. And that's just a fitness example. And there's that, that's an example of parenting. You come home from a long day of work, your patience is lower, right? You've used all your willpower on strenuous tasks at work. Yeah. So that was just an interesting. You know what? It's interesting because when you talk about, Hey, we've got a finite amount of willpower through the day. Um, and let's just say you recharge overnight. The how I've looked at willpower is I've looked at willpower as momentum more than I have as like a A finite bucket. Yeah. Right. Like, Hey, I've got this much that I can use today. I look at it more like the more willpower I use getting up early and working out and then eating a good breakfast. And then it like it, to me, the willpower is more of a momentum Mm -hmm. idea than it is like, Hey, use it. And use it in the right places because you have only got so much in that in your, yeah. your willpower account. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's an interesting point. And I think from the book, you what you've done a good job of, and, and Atomic Habits talked about this, is you set everything up in a way that makes it easy to act on those mm-hmm. habits of yours. Yeah. So yes, it takes willpower for you to get up and go work out, but you've joined a CrossFit gym. Yeah. You have a community that's expecting you to be there. Yeah. You lay out your clothes at night. Like you do all these little things that it, the, the willpower required to get yourself to the gym is less than a person who doesn't have any true. infrastructure in place. True, true. So, yes, for you, it feels like it, it's just momentum building and discipline, yeah. and I, I can just execute yeah. because you've done a good job of a good way taking away all the barriers yeah. to get you there. So the only barrier left to do is execute and go. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people, you know, they go to work all day long – they have to go run home and grab their gym bag. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot of competing things, that, yeah. and it requires so much willpower just to get there. Yeah. Where you've done a good job of Yeah, you're right. You're right. Away. Because there, there's not that decision in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like you my alarm set. I've reserved the class. Like you said, I've got my, my workout skeleton, my clothes laid out on the floor, yeah. my shoes. Because I can't tell you how many times I've worked out after work. And it's like, oh, I forgot socks or right. I forgot shoes or I didn't do, so-. you know what I mean? It's like, 
It's like, no. So there's no decisions actually being made in the morning. The, the one decision is just getting up. Exactly. The biggest decision you make in that moment is yeah. get, get out of bed or not. Bed. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And once you've done that, now the momentum is rolling, as you That's said, right. and you're able to just now. Yeah, but I get what you're saying because, like, driving home from work, it's like, all right, I've got to get there. And then, I've okay, which route am I going to take? Which one has less traffic? Which one's going to take more time? Okay, now that means I'm not eating dinner now. I'm going to eat dinner after. Okay, then I'm not going to see my kids. And, I'm, like, there's all these things yep. that you're – that are – going into the decision do i still go to the gym yeah. or not yeah and for you even if even if we use the morning example imagine you wake up you got everything set in place but then one of your kids gets sick yeah and you've got to attend to that and yeah. then something else pops up you got to so all this stress and comp competitions popping up yeah you may still eventually get to the gym but your willpower has been drained a lot yeah. more than a day that just goes according to yeah. you know smooth and according yeah. to plan so and it's not that we can avoid that always no of course no but it's it's setting up your life in a way that makes those decisions. Yeah, and, and, and it's and it's the um, you know it's the just creating habits, right? Yep. That, that we talked yep. about is is it then it's a habit, not a decision, right? Like ultimately, it comes down to yes, I've got to decide to do that, but it doesn't feel like a decision right. because of the habits and routines that you've created. That's just part of it. So speaking of draining willpower, there's four broad categories they put the drain of our willpower into. It says from the book, we can divide the uses of willpower into four broad categories, starting with the control of thoughts. Sometimes it's a losing struggle, but you can also learn to focus, particularly when the motivation is strong. People also often conserve their willpower by seeking not the fullest or best answer, but rather a predetermined conclusion. So that helps us in certain ways. It hurts us in certain ways. Prejud I think of prejudice when I yeah. read that sentence. You know, categorizing a whole group of people yeah. because it's much easier. It takes less willpower to just categorize. Outcome. It's a predetermined. Yeah. What has my past experience taught me about this group? All right, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. As opposed to getting to know each individual person, indivi you know, based on their individual merit and characteristics. Yep. That's yep. what I think about when I read that sentence. Yeah. Uh, another broad category is the control of emotions. Whichever, which psychologists call effect regulation when it's focused specifically on mood. Most commonly, we're trying to escape from bad moods and unpleasant thoughts. Yeah. So the willpower it takes to not talk to yourself in a negative fashion. Yeah. That's, that's another way we drain the willpower. A, that, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, that's a really big one. Yeah. Because I think a lot of us have been raised in a way to control your tongue towards other people. It's not kind to talk negatively to other people and you don't want to, I get, I get that, but that control of controlling that voice on the negative talk on, on yourself, that's like, that is, that takes a very, very, very intentional behavior and yeah. actions to control that. Absolutely. Uh, a third quarter category is often called impulse control, which is what most people associate with willpower, the ability to resist temptations like alcohol, tobacco, Cinnabons and cocktail waitresses. <laughs> Strictly speaking, impulse control is a misnomer. You don't really control your impulses. So, again, as I said, this is the one that most of us think of when we think of yep. willpower. Yep. I'm going to walk by those cookies and I'm not going to grab one. Yep. I have to have a lot of willpower to resist that temptation, that urge. Yeah. Or I'm married and a pretty girl walks by. Yep. I'm going to resist the temptation to pursue that. Yeah. So that's, that's the one I think most of us think of when we're talking about a drain on our willpower. And then finally, there's a category that researchers call performance control. 
focusing your energy on the task at hand, finding the right combination of speed and accuracy, managing time, persevering when you feel like quitting. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. Both in the way of just some people are more organized than others and set up their day, and, and if you're constantly playing from behind. But then also if you're on a big, you know, let's say you're an entrepreneur trying to build your business. Yeah. It takes a lot of willpower to keep showing up day after day when you're – Head's getting beat in. Yeah, and I'm, I'm dealing with this with my six-year-old right now. He's really big into, uh, like, when he and his brother, my other son, are playing. Mm-hmm. If he starts losing, he quits. And I just think of, I just think of that is so, such a, like, summary of, I feel like, the younger generation. And sorry to keep being that old guy that, like, hammers. But when, when there is conflict whether it's based off of what my expectations are of that certain scenario or, or, or team or goal or, or, or um, project, if it becomes hard or failing, we just leave, yep. right? And the willpower to say, look, I know that I'm going to fail and I know that, and I'm going to still show up anyways. Like that's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Right. Is you, you got a thousand losses before you get that, before you get that win. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that performance willpower, right? That's huge. Yeah. And I, to me, I think that that is one of the biggest, if you possess the ability to control that and, and a really strong um, discipline in this area, that is, to me, one of the number one traits to success. Well, think about our most recent episode with Josh Smith, the yeah. founder of Montana Knife. He talks about it took him 30 years to get proficient, efficient, and the best, become the best in the world. Yeah at what he's doing now. Think yeah. about how much willpower it took the last 30 years. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about him too is it's not necessarily like I'm the best in the world. Yeah. I've figured out how to create the best company mm-hmm. in this, in yeah. the world. Like, Space. And, and that is that involves humility and saying, I can't make every knife like I used to. Right. I can't spend yeah. two weeks making one knife. Mm-hmm. Like I have to allow other people to be able to put in, or I can't get this incredible product out to the people that I want to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a discipline in that and also just like letting go too. Absolutely. Like that's what I struggle with. I struggle my willpower. I don't have, I don't have a good ability and this may be totally different, but I don't have a strong sense of willpower when it, when it means like volume and efficiency because I want to control it. Right. To me, there's, there's a, um, a sense of, um, yeah, I mean, willpower, I guess. When you say, look, no, I'm not the best to do this. I need to delegate this to somebody else. Yeah. And I'm not strong in that sense. That's a hit of the ego willpower. <laughs> 100%, right? This is the fifth bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You created a new category. Congrats. Now, it's funny you used the example of your son. We actually just had this. I just taught my one example of teaching my son this lesson yesterday. So my son doesn't have... My oldest son doesn't have an older brother to play with and go beat him up and show him. Yeah. So it's, that's left to me. Yeah. So we're in the backyard. Which you accepted gladly. I accept gladly. I so dunk he, on that kid every day. <laughs> so he loves playing soccer right now. And yeah. so we're in the backyard and we play soccer. And it's a delicate balance of, you know, playing hard on him. Yeah. But letting them win, letting them succeed. Yeah. But, you know, you know how, you, yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, yesterday I really wanted to teach him that exact lesson, which is when it sucks – when you're getting crushed, yeah. what do you do? How do you respond? Yeah. So we played a 20, 20 goals. Yeah. And um, 
And he, you know, it's I'm beating him pretty good. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, one. Yeah. And he's starting to get fussy and whiny and wanting to quit. And, yeah. and I just keep reminding him over and over. Hey, you never know what can happen. Keep playing. You never know what will happen. Keep playing. And then obviously I back off a little bit yeah. and let him come back. And he ends up winning the game. Yeah. And then we talked about it after the game. We <laughs> talked about what do you do? Because in a game, when you're with your teammates, you're not going to be able to just quit in the middle of the game. You're going to want to. Yeah. Everything ends, you're going to say, I'm done. This sucks. We're getting crushed. But you never know what can happen. Never, yep. Stay in the fight. You never know what can happen. And yep. That was a cool lesson. That was a cool moment yesterday with him, exactly what you were talking I mean, about. I mean, a few weeks back, Minnesota Vikings, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Down exactly. Down 30 points, the mm -hmm. largest comeback in NFL history. Like, very every other team up to this point in the history of the NFL – has laid down and seceded, said, we're, we can't do it. Yep. And they just said, nah, like, we're getting embarrassed right now, but we're going to keep we're gonna keep fighting because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they play this week now. Yeah. With all their willpower being drained yeah. in last, week, last week's yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. What's the recharge time? Does it give? Uh, yeah, no, it, it, well, I, I think mean, they have like a supercharger yeah, somewhere that they can yeah, just. <laughs> seriously. Sleep and nutrition it actually talks about. Uh, okay, and now the, the segment we tease with, why you shouldn't make New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Again, that's what most people are probably sitting here thinking right now this time of year. When people have to make a big change in their lives, their efforts are undermined if they're trying to make other changes as well. People who are trying to quit smoking, for example, will have their best shot at succeeding if they aren't changing other behaviors at the same time. Those who try to quit smoking will, while also restricting their eating or cutting back on alcohol tend to fail at all three probably because they have too many simultaneous demands on their willpower. Yep. Above all, don't make a list of New Year's resolutions. Each January, millions of people drag themselves out of bed, full of hope and hangover, resolve to eat less, exercise more, spend less money, work harder at the office, keep the home cleaner, and still miraculously have more time for romantic dinners and long walks on the beach. By February 1st, they're embarrassed to even look at the list. But instead of lamenting their lack of willpower, they should put the blame on where it belongs on the list. No one has enough willpower for that list because you only have sup one supply of willpower. The different new year's resolutions will all compete with one another. Each time you try to follow one, you reduce your capacity for all the others. A better plan is to make one resolution and stick to it. That's challenge enough. Yeah. yeah. So hundred percent. That's their point is if you try to make four five, six different goals, your yep. willpower is going to be drained. Mm -hmm. Even just pursuing one of them. Yeah. You're gonna fail all three, yeah. all five. Yeah, and that's where that's where that momentum aspect comes into play. It, and Tiffany and I had this conversation for years because every it was like, all right, now I'm gonna start working out. I'm gonna get my diet lined up, and then I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna mm -hmm. it, like she has this list, and and my what I was trying to tell her, and you know, I was also telling she won't myself, listen either. Of course she won't. <laughs> does, is just show up to the show up to the gym. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just show up. And to me, that's where that momentum aspect is like, okay, tell you what, the goal is not to completely cut out all carbs, go down to 700 calories, and then do this much cardio. And then, like you said, okay, then I've got to do, you know, this at the house. And then I want to be a room mom and I want to do all these things. No, just go to the gym and watch how much better you feel and how much more capacity you create within your day just because you now have the benefits of physical activity. Mm -hmm. So just focus on that. And I watch your diet will clean up because just subconsciously, you're not going to want to throw away the time that you spend at the gym. Right. Okay. The energy. Okay. You maybe can create more time for projects or something that you've got want to do at the house. Like it all builds up, but 
It's one goal and it's one thing that you can focus on, one thing you can spend your energy planning out, one thing that like the decision you make that day to go execute that that one goal, that's it. But then watch the ancillary benefits that come from yeah. it. Yeah, to your point, pursuing that one will likely help you make better decisions in the other areas. But if you don't, for whatever reason, you screw up one day and you eat some carbs that you said you you're not depleting your willpower. Yeah. You're not depleting your willpower because you're still accomplishing that one thing you set out for. Yes. So that's a great, that's grace. I mean, it's, it's creating space for grace Mm -hmm. in your, for yourself. Yep. Because look, I'm not failing at 10 things, right? I didn't fail at anything because I hit the one thing that I was trying to do. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, that's hard for, it's hard to get my mind wrapped around because I think I'm tough enough. I think yeah, I'm, of course. I have enough willpower. I think I'm elite enough yeah. to be able to pursue three different things. But yeah. if I'm honest with myself, when's the last time I was able to accomplish? But but three even if, goals at even once? if you miss the miss the target on the one goal, right? If you're looking at that list, it, it, it made a good reference. Like you look at the, you're embarrassed to even look mm-hmm. at the list because yeah. all the things that you failed at, right? It's like oh crap. Okay, now it's it's a whole lot better to recenter yourself on one target yep. as opposed to, oh, crap, now I've got this overwhelming amount of 15 goals that I set for myself December 31st, and I haven't hit any of them yep. because of life or whatever. It's that one, and it's that, that weight and that obligation that comes with, like, coming short on some sort of goal is just so much less. Yep. Yeah, there's a great book. I know we both read it called The One Thing. Mm-hmm. I forget who writes it, wrote it, but – if you're interested in more about this concept of just picking one and sticking to yep. one and pursuing one with all of everything yep. you got, that's a great book and a great reference for, for that mentality. Uh, a lot of people, if your one thing is to lose weight, because that's, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would imagine a vast majority of people, that's going to be on their list of things they want to do this year is, is get in better shape or lose weight. And if that's you, uh, here are two simple techniques to help with weight loss. So it says from the book, if you're trying to lose weight, how often should you weigh yourself? The standard advice used to be to not get on the weight scale every single day because your weight naturally fluctuates and you'll get discouraged on days it goes up for no apparent reason. Uh, A careful long-term study tracked people who'd lost weight and were trying not to regain it. Some of these people weighed themselves daily. Others didn't. It turned out that the conventional wisdom was wrong. The people who weighed themselves every day were much more successful at keeping their weight from creeping back up. They were less likely to go on eating binges, and they didn't show any signs of delusions or other distress from their daily confrontation with the scale. Mm. The more carefully and frequently you monitor yourself, the better your control, the better you'll be able to control yourself. Besides monitoring your body, you can monitor your food that you put into it. If you consciously keep a record of all the food you eat, you'll probably consume fewer calories. In one study, those who kept a food diary lost twice as much weight as those who used other techniques. Yep. So I look so those at this, two things. I look at this like finance, personal finance. If you wait till the end of the year to go through your budget and you haven't done anything all year, that anticipation of getting in and like, okay, how much money did I waste this year? How much, how much work do I have to do to get back to where I want to be is overwhelming. And it like, it to me, and I've and I've been there where it's like, oh my gosh, like I don't even want to I don't even want to attempt this. I got to go through all my finances. I got to highlight all my write offs. I got to you know categorize this. I got to do that. When you're on it all the time, what it does is you can actually track and see where you're at. And you're like, okay, now I got to be more conscious. Like I can't I can't go just 
frivolously spend here or yeah. I can't do that or I can't do that. And you and what happens is when you like stop recording, stop um, stop assessing and, and, and like checking in, whether it's your weight, finances, whatever, right? Is it literally like your just awareness of it and and the results just dip down and then you're like, I don't want to see it. I don't mm. want to, I don't want to check the scale. I don't want to do that. Like, and then you just don't for a long time. Yeah. But when you get in the habit of every day checking it, you're like, okay, look, I had a big meal. And as opposed to, of like, I'm not going to look at the scale and I'm just going to just put it in the back of my mind. And then I'll have another one and another one and I'll have another binge event and I'll have this. And then you just want to get further and further away from going and checking your weight until you hit something like, okay, now I got to do something. Every day, it's like, okay, now I'm just reminding, like, okay, be conscious. Remind, be conscious. Don't just, like, splurge whenever I want. Right, yeah, and, and this is a technique that I've utilized myself in the past and been very successful with, and also helping, you know, people that I've helped lose weight over, over the years. Some people don't like it, right? They say the scale every day. I don't like seeing my weight. But what you do, the best way to do it that I've found is get you a, a journal, some sort of yeah. log, Write down the date and write down your weight for that day. And then what you do, so you do that on Sunday and you do all that all the way through Saturday. So you've got seven, so you've got week one, the dates, you've got seven weights there. Take the average of all those days. Because again, like this, like this said, like you said, one day it might be you know 240.1, the next day it might be 241, depending on what I had for the next day it might be 239. So it's going to fluctuate yeah. day, day after day. The point is you take the average of that week, then go to week two. Take the average of that week. Now look at those two numbers. Yeah. If you've lost weight from the average of week one to the average of week two, you're on the right track. Yep. If you've gained weight, obviously there's some adjustments you need to make. Yep. That's the best way to do it. But exactly. you don't want to weigh randomly on Monday and then weigh randomly yeah. on the next Morning Thursday. On Monday. Right. And then after your yeah. Thursday dinner, yep. before you go to sleep, yep. you weigh in then. Yep. Yeah. So for me, it was right when I woke up, right after I went to the bathroom, I would step on the scale with just my, you know, boxers on, whatever, no clothes on, and I would write that number down. And so I did it consistently, same time, every single day, wrote it down, and then I just took the average. And I saw over the course of 8, 12, 16 weeks, the weight just gradually go down. And some weeks it didn't go down. And so I knew, okay, that week was a – it wasn't like I was embarrassed or it was just a good, easy way to track. I know I'm headed in the right direction. So I would highly Which is wild. Like that methodology – like, yeah, you can have this, like, diet. You can have all these things. It's it's literally an amount of, like, if we're just speaking about, like, losing weight, is your caloric intake. Yeah. Like, you're just more conscious. Right. Like, you don't have to have some fancy, expensive diet that, you know, you're getting meals shipped to you and all this stuff. Like, to like if you're following just, hey, check in and reduce calories. Yeah. Make good decisions throughout the day. Like, hey, I made a couple bad decisions. I saw that weekly average go up. Okay, now I've got to be conscious about it. You don't have to like go create some crazy, you know, cow testicle diet right. to lose yeah. weight, right? Shout out Liver King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is amazing how something that simple can be so effective. Yeah. Now, obviously, you're having to make decisions during yeah, the day and no eat the right food. No Duh. doubt. That's, no doubt. That's, that's, a, that's not what I'm, we're saying. But our bodies are crazy. Like, it really does come down to total calories. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, this simplest is, terms. Yeah. All this technique is, is a monitoring system yeah. to keep you on track, keep you yeah. accountable. That's yeah. all it is. And then the food law, that's actually something I'm going to do this year. I've never written down. I'm not even going to, tr- I'm not going to track calories. I'm not gonna, I'm literally just going to write down what I eat. Yeah. And 
again, this is more what I've read as opposed to actually lived experience, but just same thing with the same idea with the weight is seeing it daily. Oh yeah. man, I didn't realize I ate three pizza. donuts and yeah, a burrito pizza and pizza. three times this week. Yeah. That's, that's Two. crazy. Yeah. Cause yeah. if you don't write it down, like yeah. life's busy, you get crazy, yeah. you get, you get, you, you sometimes forget, yep. but seeing it on paper is a, is an eye opening experience. So those two simple techniques, I, I would encourage anybody. If you're one thing this year is to lose weight, I would encourage you to, to try those two techniques out. Uh, all right, David Blaine, the secret to David Blaine's success, and also why we do Saturday Suffering. Here we go. Growing up in Brooklyn, Blaine forced himself to practice card tricks hour after hour, day after day. By the way, does everybody know David Blaine, famous magician? You know David Blaine, right? Okay. Just so we're on the same I'm not going to lie. When you brought his name up, I was like, that's a random yeah. name to be putting in this book. Yeah. No, you'll, you'll see why here in this, this excerpt. He learned to win swimming races not by coming up for air the entire length of the pool. And then, with practice, eventually won $500 in bets by swimming five lengths underwater. In the winter, he eschewed a coat, wearing only a t-shirt, even when walking for miles on bitterly cold days. He regularly took cold baths and conducted the occasional barefoot run in the snow. He slept on the wooden floor of his bedroom and once spent two straight days in a closet. He got into the, ha he got into the habit of continually setting goals that had to be met, like running so far every day or jumping to grab a leaf from the branch of a certain tree every time he walked under it. At age 11, after reading about fasting in the novel Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, he tried it himself and soon got up to four days on just water at 11 years old. <laughs> he says, getting your brain wired into, little, wired into little goals and achieving them, that helps you achieve the bigger things you shouldn't be able to do, he said. It's not just practicing the specific thing. It's always making things more difficult than they should be and never falling short so that you have that extra reserve, that tank, so you know you can always go further than your goal. For me, that's what discipline is. It's repetition and practice. Mm. And there is a whole, I mean, crazy stories about him standing up on a, I don't even remember he stood up on a pole mm -hmm. for like 48 straight hours mm -hmm. with no harness, no nothing. He couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything, or he'd fall. Uh, he... Spent four days, I think it was, suspended on a box in yep. Brooklyn. Yep. You know, in the 30-degree weather, yep. fasting, yep. like mm -hmm. no food, no water, no nothing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just water. But it was just a fascinating just chapter about yeah. all of these ways that he pushes himself mentally and the way he did it, the ways he did it growing up, just to build calluses, basically. And exactly like we talk about Saturday suffering, you don't know how you're going to respond to high-stress environment or situations unless you put yourself Yeah in those situations. And an easy way to do that is, well, these aren't easy, but the easy way we do it is by suffering physically. That's right. Um, but yeah, David Blaine was a, was a special kid. Golly, man. <laughs> he, oh, I can't, I remember watching that one special where he, he was shooting for like holding his breath for 20 minutes. Did yeah. you see that one? Yeah. And he, yeah, I think he did it, but he like did. something went wrong. Yeah. Like, he was at like 12 or 13 minutes Yeah, and something went wrong. Yeah. And, and he ended up having like, because apparently he got to where he could just be super relaxed. He, like, can slow his heart rate right. down. But, but something happened. Like they, I think he was doing it on a stage on Oprah or something. Yeah. And something happened, and it jacked up his heart rate even more. But he was able to do it. He, he accomplished it. Yeah. It just wasn't as smooth as what he yeah. had practiced. But, yeah. yeah. But I, I think the take-home, you don't have to go walk in the barefoot snow. Or maybe you do. Maybe you want to do that. But I think the point is putting yourself in – uncomfortable situations yeah. but i think but it's important picking a goal a singular goal 
Like he would do one at a time, right? It's fasting or it's running in the snow or jumping up and grabbing a leaf or sitting in a closet. Like random stuff, Could you right? imagine your saying, 11-year-old coming and saying, I want to fast for four days? Yeah, I'm going to actually just <laughs> don't come look for me. Uh, I'm going to play hide and seek with myself for two days and I'm going to hide in the closet. What? <laughs> but it's picking a goal as hard and crazy as it sounds and sticking to it until you accomplish it. That's right. That's right. So, uh, again, if, if for nothing else, pick up this book for the stories about David Blaine. I mean, it's oh unbelievable what that guy. Uh, all right, Alcoholics Anonymous and why it works. With the exception of organized religion, Alcoholics Anonymous probably represents the largest program ever conducted to improve self-control. It attracts more problem drinkers than do all professional and clinical programs combined. And many professional therapists routinely send their clients to AA meetings. Yet social scientists still aren't exactly sure what AA accomplishes. AA's defenders note that alcoholics who frequently attend AA meetings tend to drink less than ones who attend, inf attend infrequently. But the critics wonder about cause and effect. Does frequent attendance make people more likely to abstain? Or does abstinence make people more likely to keep attending? Despite these uncertainties, researchers have found some evidence that AA works. After tracking more than 2,000 men with drinking problems for two years, a team led by John McKellar at Stanford University concluded that attendance at AA meetings led to fewer future problems with drinking. Moreover, the benefits of AA remained even after talk, taking into account the men's initial level of motivation and psychological problems. The failure rate among members is high. It's normal for them to relapse periodically, but they usually resume abstinence. In fact, AA seems to be at least as effective as professional treatments for alcoholism. All in all, then, AA seems to be at least as good as, if not better, than professional treatments costing much more. Even if researchers haven't figured out exactly what it does, we can point to some familiar ways in which AA appears to help. We know that self-control starts with setting standards or goals, and we can see that AA helps people set a clear and attainable goal. Do not have a drink today. Self-control depends on monitoring, and AA offers help there too. Members get chips for remaining sober for a certain number of consecutive days, and when they set up and when they get up to speak, they often start by saying how many days they've been sober. Members also choose a sponsor with whom they are supposed to remain in regular, even daily contact. And that, too, is a powerful boost for monitoring. Yeah. So all those different components of AA, you know, the accountability of knowing that you're expected to be there, the little chips that remind you daily of your sobriety, all these different things make it effective. Yeah, and, works. I, and I think it's, <clears throat> it's important is, is willpower – and, and this is my opinion, this is not scientific, but I feel like you can pull willpower from community as well. Yeah. And, you know, whether you're pulling willpower, but essentially it's the accountability aspect. No. It is the decision to do something that your impulses are saying not to do, mm -hmm. you know, being counteractive to what your impulses are saying, community only strengthens that. That's right. And, I mean... You look at you look at other recovery programs. There's a lot of churches that have recovery programs within you know that they provide for um, <clears throat> for church members and community and, and all that. Model this AA. Yeah, uh, it's a great structure yeah. yeah, because because it really does right. There's accountability. There's encouragement. There's community. Um, there's milestones. There's goals. There's all of those things that are all really really strong. Well, that's why CrossFit works so well. I would imagine CrossFit has a higher retention rate. Again, I'm sure there's stats out there. We could yeah. probably look it up. But 
just anecdotally, I would think CrossFit has a higher retention rate than just your average gym where you're showing up because of that accountability aspect. You know that there's a group of people that you enjoy being around that are counting on you to be there. Yeah, That's what worked for my wife before she got pregnant this last time. That's what worked out for her so well. She yep. didn't like to work out at all, yep. but she got to where she enjoyed going. Yep. And we talked about that before, but yeah. same thing yeah, with your community. wife. I mean, so it, it's that community. It is accountability. Um, but I think, too, like – celebrating wins along the way. And that's why I think CrossFit is really is really good. It's a good example. You know, like AA, right? You get milestone chips, right? It's yeah. celebrating the victories that you have. Yeah. It just it just reinforces the positive behavior that you're doing. Same with CrossFit. It's like recording. Like when I was just going to the gym for three or four years after playing, like I had no measurement of success at all. I was just like aimlessly going to the gym when I could. And if I didn't go, it was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, there was nothing. But, like, with CrossFit, it's like, all right, I've got goals, and I'm being celebrated. As, like, stupid as it is, right, is we have this little app that records all of our PRs. So, anytime, like, um, this last week, uh, we had deadlift, right? We had deadlifts. And I hit a three-rep PR max. And stupid as it is, there's a little confetti thing that, like, (laughs) pops up on the screen. And every time I see that, I get a hit of dopamine, and I'm like, Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to see more of the confetti right. on my screen. Like it's like little things, mm-hmm. like little celebrations along the way reinforce this positive behavior that we call willpower. Yeah. It's same thing with 75 hard. If you've ever yeah. done 75 hard, the, one of the brilliant things they did was make an app and you go in, you check off e- each day. You or, see the progress. Yeah. Each, each activity that you've done that day and you see the progress and you see the little check marks yep. through the days, how many days you are. That little subtle thing is kind of like the confetti. Yep. Seeing how many days I've been through is extra motivation to yep. continue going down. That's right. And using my willpower to, to accomplish this goal. Uh, last last uh, segment we're going to talk about today in this part one, we'll, uh, we'll finish up next week with part two, uh, is why religious people live longer than non-religious people. Interesting. If you're in a religious congregation and ask God for a longer life, you're likely to get it. It doesn't even matter, seem to matter which God you ask. Any sort of religious activity increases your longevity, according to psychologist Michael McCullough. He looked at more than three dozen studies that had asked people about their religious devotion and then kept track of them over time. It turned out that the non-religious people died off sooner and that even at, and that at any given point, a religiously active person was 25% more likely than a non-religious person to remain alive. Religious people are less likely to develop unhealthy habits. They're more likely to wear seatbelts, visit a dentist, and take vitamins. They have better social support, and their faith helps them cope psychologically with misfortunes. And they have better self-control, as McCullough and his colleagues at the University of Miami, Brian Willoughby, recently concluded after analyzing hundreds of studies of religion and self-control over eight decades. More importantly, religion affects two central mechanisms for self-control, building willpower and improving monitoring. When neuroscientists observe people praying or meditating, They see strong activity in two parts of the brain that are also important for self-regulation and control of attention. Religious believers build self-control by regularly forcing themselves to interrupt their daily routines in order to pray. Religion also improves the monitoring of behavior, another of the central steps to self-control. Religious people tend to feel that someone important is watching them. Regardless of whether religious people believe in an omniscient deity, they are generally quite conscious of being monitored by human eyes the other members of their religious community. If they attend a house of worship regularly, they feel pressured to control their behavior according to the community's rules and norms. Religions 
also encouraged monitoring through rituals, such as the Catholic Sacrament of Confession and the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, that require people to reflect on the memorial failures and other shortcomings. Psychologists have found that people who attend religious services for extrinsic reasons, like wanting to impress others or make social connections, don't have the same high level of self-control as the true believers. McCullough concludes that the believer's self-control comes from not merely from the fear of God's wrath, but from the system of values they've absorbed, which gives their personal goals an aura of sacredness. So we actually talked about this a little bit in our um, uh, faith series, faith series yeah. a few weeks ago. So even, and I mentioned this, but even through my questioning and doubts and, and change of my beliefs from what I grew up believing, I still believe church is one of the best places I could possibly. Now, yeah. that might be a selfish mentality in looking at it that way, but the community I get, the people that I'm around, is still a better place for me to be than any other place that I can think of. Yeah. And so now it says in here, the true believers that actually believe in, in, a, in a higher power, they're going to get more benefit out of it. Yeah. But even if nothing else, you're just showing up and being part of that community. There's, there's benefit to that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the difference, right? I think that's the difference between religion and relationship. And we talked about this, right? Religion. Yes. Like you feel more judged. You feel like there's more accountability. You feel like you're being watched. Like the difference is what he's talking about is like the true believers, right? The ones that like really, really feel like, Hey, listen, like, Everything that I do is for is for my God, and whichever God that we're referencing right mm -hmm. here on this, right, whoever these people feel like is who they're responsible to. The difference is when religion puts these rules and regulations in, and I feel like could be detrimental to willpower and and you know staying within you know this moral moral compass and making good decisions and all that is when people are held to it, but don't believe mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm performing to do all these things. And I don't really truly in my heart believe. And so, yeah, you like, you're good for a little bit, but then you go off the deep end. Yeah. Right. And then you pull completely yeah. away from it. That to me is religion, right? When it's rules and then the relationship side of it, that's when it's like, you are living in a way that shows gratitude for everything that you believe that, that, you know, in my case that God has done for me. Right. right. And so, that, yes, now I feel watched, but it's not I'm being watched for judgment. It's being watched as in like, oh, my gosh, what is it that that guy has? I want that. Like, it's more of like, hey, I want to be able to share the greatness mm -hmm. by the way that I live. And so the way that I live, I want to reflect what God calls right. me to do. Right. And it's more out of gratitude than it is obligation. Mm -hmm. But I agree regardless, hey, look, if I'm going to, like, Bible study on Wednesday evenings as opposed to going to the bar, I feel like yeah. you're going to be on the right track. My encouragement, though, is is on the religious side of it and living longer is you just, you, you, don't, you don't need, you, your, your cup is filled by something bigger mm -hmm. when you truly believe, in my opinion, that the need for alcohol, the need for, substances, the need for addiction, the need for sex addiction, the need for all of these things that may be detrimental to long-term health um, and mental health and all those things is the need is less, yeah. right? And, and you're trying to live in a way that 
um, that is more congruent to a or is more congruent to longevity. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree <clears throat> that rules, regulations, it's not the main thing, but I think you honor the beliefs that you have by living your life yeah. in a way that that adheres to those regulations, like. It's, it's true in the Christian faith that you believe you're saved by grace and there's nothing you can do yourself to be saved. That's true. That, that's the belief. Yeah. However, you honor that belief by abstaining from sleeping around, by abstaining from alcohol abuse, by abstaining from drugs. You honor that. So all that in combination yeah. does lead to a healthier life over time. Yeah, and, and there's community aspect too, right? right? Like... What's the rising tides yeah, raise all raise ships, all ships yeah. right? And so you're just around people, and that's what like small groups are really good for. You're just around people that encourage positive behavior and positive decisions, willpower, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it's easier, right? Like the the community that you surround yourself is is going to be a direct reflection of the decisions that you're making. Yeah, the likelihood that you're going to find that at a church is is higher Much than greater, anywhere yeah. else. Yes, there's yeah. bad churches, of course there are, but the likelihood yeah. is higher. Right. I, I was just telling my wife this last night because we're talking about our boys and you know when do you start talking to them about drugs and alcohol and sex and all these big conversations and and I was reflecting on the group of friends I had from seventh grade on. I was extremely lucky yeah. that it didn't take a lot of willpower for me to resist those temptations because the group that I spent the most of my time with yep. didn't do those things. Yeah. It wasn't out of, I'm some morally, you right. know, ex, ex, you know, experienced, experienced person. Mm-hmm. Uh, ex, what's the word? Superior. Superior person. It was the people that I spent yeah. my time with. It just wasn't, it never brought up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing. It didn't even cross our mind. We would just go mm-hmm. do dumb, fun stuff. Yeah. But so, it, to your point, it's that community. You're more likely to find that in a religious community because yeah. of these regulations and rules and mm-hmm. and scaffolding that we that we believe in yeah. as part of honoring. That's Again, right. it's not what saves you, but it does. It, it's a, just a way to show your gratitude right. and living in that certain way. Yeah. And we started, and we don't have to get down this tangent, but again, a healthy relationship with your wife is more likely to make you a happier person than cheating on your wife or going yep. to watch porn. You know, yep. you're just not that it's not fun to pursue those things, but it's just not as fulfilling. Yeah. Not as gratifying. You're not going to get as much out of life if that's what you're doing. That's right. Forget the moral aspect of it. Just the mere a healthy yeah. a healthy relationship right. with your spouse leads to a healthier life just right. in general. Exactly. So. Exactly. We need that community whether it's in our yeah. home or at our that's you know, right. in our broader community. So Anyway, cool, that's man. part that's one. Start, yeah, I, I, like thought, uh, I thought that was interesting. Any uh, any takeaways from, from part one that, that stood out to you? I'm just excited to hear about the Asians. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll, uh, we'll have a little more in depth on parenting and, and why the Asians are so successful next week. Um, but before we get out of here and, and on to your new year, we do want to thank our partners, uh, Sleep Number. Something we're going to talk about in uh, next week's episode is the importance of sleep and yeah. proper nutrition and how it helps your willpower. We all know that. And Sleep Number, these mattresses that they've designed, these Sleep Number 360 smart beds, I mean, they really do take your sleeping experience to the next level. We've talked about it ad nauseum. It, when I sleep away from home, I definitely notice a massive difference. And, and you can't really take our, don't take our word for it. Go try it out yourself. Yeah. 
Go, go visit a local sleep number store. Go online. Go test out these beds yourself. I promise you, you won't regret it. Yes, it's an investment, but it's a minor investment for something that's going to just benefit Gosh. you long term. Like literally, like I just think of like the investment that you make, like the correlation to productivity. Like how much, how much more income can you potentially right. seriously bring in because because you are getting deeper sleep, your your recovery is higher, your alertness, your energy, all of that just leads to more productivity. Absolutely. I mean, it pays for itself, I would say, in a year. Yeah, less than that, Yeah, depending on what you do for a living. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, speaking of community, our other partner, uh, Choctaw Concealer and Resort, Come on. which is the best community Come on. around up there at the league. Um, we've got uh, we got playoff football playoffs coming yeah. up, which is a great spot to go watch. The best. Even if you're not a Cowboys fan, any of those games uh, up there at the league, they've got tons of restaurants. Uh, tons of slot machines and all different kinds of uh, casino games. And, and look, there's tons of giveaways that they're doing. Um, you know, yes, like December's, but like big things coming in January. Um, and look, these aren't just like they're just saying it and nobody actually wins. Literally, a friend of ours mm-hmm. won over $100,000. Yeah. One of the giveaways. $100,000. Like, it's a life changer right there. Yep. They, they really are That's, giving away. They'll be giving away over a million dollars in the month of January. So. I've said this before. Come I can't. On. I can't think of another entertainment venue that pays you more than you pay to be there. Come on, <laughs> let's go. So get yourself the Choctaw Casino Resort, guys. Thank you for listening this year. Thank you for the support. For yes. the support, you've all, y'all been awesome. Twenty two was a fun year. We can't wait for twenty twenty three. We're not going anywhere. We got, we got some changes though. We got some changes coming. We got some fun changes. Yeah, that's right. So we are excited to uh, embark on this new year. Our one thing this year is to stay consistent with this podcast. That's right. And and keep bringing you guys great guests. Keep guys bringing you guys great content. And keep having these conversations uh, that maybe be uncomfortable sometimes, and maybe we disagree, but I think they're important for moving our society and our culture forward in the right direction so we appreciate you guys hope you have a happy new year's be safe don't do anything dumb and we'll see you next year thanks guys